0: Your Excellency, to be presented the Victoria Cross for Australia, Corporal Daniel Kieran, for the most conspicuous acts of gallantry and extreme devotion to duty in action in circumstances of great peril at Darapet, Orizgan Province, Afghanistan, as part of the Mentoring Task Force One on Operation Slipper. On 24 August 2010, Corporal Kieran of the 6th Battalion, Royal Australian Regiment, was a member of a partnered fighting patrol with soldiers of the Afghan National Army's 1st Kandak, 4th Brigade, 205th Hero Corps, which was engaged by a prolonged, numerically superior and coordinated enemy attack from multiple firing points. Corporal Kiran, with complete disregard for his own safety, broke cover on multiple occasions to draw intense and accurate enemy fire to identify enemy locations and direct return fire from Australian and Afghan fire support elements. During one of these occasions when his patrol sustained a casualty, again on his own initiative and in an act of exceptional courage, he moved from his position of cover to deliberately draw fire away from the team who were treating the casualty. Corporal Kieran remained exposed and under heavy fire in order to direct suppressing fire and then assist in the clearing of the landing zone to enable the evacuation of the casualty. These deliberate acts of exceptional courage to repeatedly expose himself to accurate and intense enemy fire, thereby placing himself in grave danger Ultimately, enabled the identification and suppression of enemy firing positions. In circumstances of great peril, Corporal Kieran's actions were instrumental in permitting the withdrawal of the combined Australian and Afghan patrol with no further casualties. His valour is in keeping with the finest traditions of the Australian Army and the Australian Defence Force. Corporal Daniel Kieran. Awarded the Victoria Cross for Australia.
1: Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. Uh, We have an interesting uh, topic of discussion for this podcast. I have two guests on with me, uh, both who are in Australia. The first is Kristen Shorten. She is a journalist, uh, does really incredible work. And what we're going to talk about is uh, featuring or or one of the many features is the Australian Special Forces veteran who's on with us, uh, Jody Brown. Uh, How's it going, everybody? Uh, John, thanks for having us on.
2: Good morning or evening over in New
1: York. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, what? You know, the reason we came on to record uh, for this episode is the uh, documentary series that was put together by a Christian uh, called Voodoo Medics. And um, Voodoo Medics is kind of showing, and and it doesn't just include medics, it shows other uh, special operations uh, warriors from Australia and kind of telling the story of some of their experiences in afghanistan particularly um now i'll I'll be honest i wasn't sure what to expect when i when i started to watch it but you know the, the more you watch it the more you realize that it's really um it's something very profound and it's deep and uh the experiences are very real of of you know, anyone who's been to Afghanistan and, and seen combat. And then particularly for the medics who have to uh, fight and then have to work on, you know, their, their brothers who are wounded or wounded and dying. And it's, it's very real and, and very um, vivid. And some of the people, including Jody that you have on for it, uh, are really re- remarkable uh, in their own right. Um and some of them I've had on the podcast prior. So, Christian, if we can start, uh, maybe if we can talk just a little bit about your career and kind of what led you to uh, Voodoo Medics.
2: For sure. Thanks, John. So, yeah, I'm a print journalist and uh, started my career with News Corp in Australia, working for one of their newspapers in Queensland, the Korea Mail, about a decade ago. And, um, yeah, worked for them across a range of different mastheads and um, websites, Um, up until a few years ago when I had my daughter and went on maternity leave and then um, I decided to resign and freelance so that I could work around her and my family. Um, But, yeah, I've always been a general reporter, so I've never um, covered one specific round but rather a little bit of everything from, you know, politics and crime to courts and um, a little bit of defence reporting and things like that. But what led me to this project is... um, is actually my husband. He's a a, comm- a former commando from Second Commando Regiment in nice. Sydney, the same same unit that Jody served at. So I've also I've always had a strong interest in the special forces and the work that they do. But um, you know there there has been a lot of coverage of the operators and and their role, and so there should be. But um, I wanted to for this project really just look at the group of soldiers who had faced the most trauma in Afghanistan. Um, and as I started to research that area, I realised that that would be the medics who were serving alongside the special forces, so the kilos. And, um, yeah, then I just really um, started to reach out and try and find out who who were some of the best kilos who had served in Afghanistan with our special forces over Australia's 15-, uh, 16-year involvement in that conflict. And, um, yeah, my husband made an initial introduction for me, um, to Jeremy Holder, who is Australia's most decorated medic and one of the medics who you would have seen in the documentary, um, Jeremy was an, was awarded a medal for gallantry for his actions over in Afghanistan in 2006. And from there, I just really started um, reaching out to to find out who were the kilos who are, I guess, the most um, experienced, um, you know, highly respected. Professional, well-liked medics who served over there with both Second Commando Regiment and the Special Air Service Regiment, but also the guys who were the best representatives of those special forces units um, who they had worked with.
1: So uh, this project, um, and and this was this like a something that took kind of long as far as you know time to. Uh, meet up with everybody and get these stories and and get everything ready for like public consumption?
2: For sure. I mean, the idea itself was in gestation for about four years. It was something that I'd wanted to work on before I fell pregnant with my daughter and she's almost three. So about four years ago, I had actually pitched this project to an editor at the time and they'd knocked it back. Um, And yeah, then I just sort of sat on it. Like I I said, we had our daughter and I took maternity leave and sort of put it on the back burner, but it was something that I'd I'd been really thinking about over this long period of time and thinking about exactly what the story was and what the themes were that I wanted to focus on, being resilience and post-traumatic growth. Um, I really wanted to look at those who had faced the most trauma and how they had prepared for it, responded to it and grown as a result of the trauma that they'd faced in Afghanistan. And then, yeah, it was really this year um, in February. I can kind of remember quite clearly in February I initially reached out to Jeremy and then it sort of took months from there for me to um, find out who those best medics were and make contact with them. Um, And so really I'd say I started working on it in February, but then I guess the sort of three or four months prior to publication in October were quite intense with the, um, I mean, there was a lot of research um, and interview preparation and everything that happened before we started filming. We started filming in August and um, wrapped up filming mid-September and then had the documentary ready for publication um mid to late october and it started rolling out from october 22 so yeah look I, i've spent you know the best part of a year working on it um but like i said the the idea was something that i'd been thinking about for much longer
1: yeah it's it's really good and um i think part of what makes it good is that when you're talking about these kind of experiences where you know people are on the edge of of life and death and Uh, So many things happen in in such a quick time and things that affect people for the rest of their lives. Uh, Anyone who watches it, there are several instances where several operators uh, or medics are saying, you know, this particular date is something I will always remember. And um, I think the the reason that, you know, outside of the, the very specifics of somebody getting killed or or you know, multiple guys being wounded or multiple guys being killed. It's just the the gravity of it. Um, and I, I think, you know, like I said, what makes this such a good documentary is that it's authentic and it catches, um, it captures the emotions that these guys were going through. And um, you really start to see that. I think it was, uh, was it part three? I think it was part three or part four. And uh, one of the medics, they were talking about, you know, how they were treating uh, children who were, you know, caught in the middle of a fight, or you know, they stepped on an IED or something like that, um, and he just became over. He got overcome with emotion, and I think it, it's very real and raw. Um, so, That's
2: right. I sorry, I was just going to say, John, yeah, and I think um, a really big part of uh, uh, of really illustrating, I guess, the complexity and the depth of these stories was also involving. Um, other characters besides the medics so yeah. um, I'm sure you and Jodie will discuss you know in with Jodie's story in particular um, a really powerful way for me to tell Jodie's story was to in was to bring in Chad Elliot the commando who was shot and who Jodie treated and likewise um, with some of the other medics in the documentary we've we've um, involved the families. Of the soldiers who were killed and who the medics could not save Um, and we've got other you know incredible characters like Mark Donaldson VC who you've interviewed on your podcast before and Bram Connolly a commando platoon commander who was involved in a really heavy, heavy battle over in Afghanistan the battle of Zabat Kalei which you may have heard of so having those additional voices and perspectives involved in the project and to also share their perspectives of the medics role and to and to talk about the medics role yeah just through their eyes was also really important and um a really powerful part of, of the story as well
1: yeah and and i think um and this is something that um we touched on when i had uh, mark on the podcast was you know some of this stuff is like or at least you know i'll speak for like americans um some of this stuff is like cool and sexy and it's like you know special operations and guys are on helicopters and getting in gunfights and all this stuff, but what people don't realize and um me and Mark spoke about it before we we got on air and and then uh Mark kind of illustrated it in a very real way was that a lot of these um incidents that are spoken about that you know sound so cool and and whatever it's really like the worst day of a lot of people's lives you know um for a, a guy That's that was like, right. And it's for, you know, a guy that was killed or a guy that was wounded and that would affect him for the rest of his life. And then the medic that had to treat the, 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 wounded, um, or the, the family of the guy who was killed. And it's just, you know, so many, so many people are connected to a single incident. Um, and the, and the people that are connected, uh, don't even have to be there. You know what I mean? So, um, just kind of food for thought for the for the audience and, and for people who um, are interested in this kind of genre of um, content, I'll call it. Um, and, and, and again, this is just, you know, to me, this is why it, it's such a great documentary because you, you capture the, the authenticity of, of, uh, you know, what these guys were going through. So um, it, it's done really well. Um, what I'll do when I post the episode is I'll put, Links for it in the podcast description and on social media. So if anyone who hasn't seen it and they, they listen to this episode, they will have the opportunity to do so. Um, so, Jody, I would like to uh, talk about your um, your career a little bit in the uh, Australian Army. And then um, if we could kind of walk through that and then uh, talk about your involvement in Voodoo Medics and, um, uh, and then... If, if you can share a story uh, of a time of combat where you treated um, an Australian.
3: Sure, no worries. Thanks, John, for having me on the show. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll start off with I uh, joined back in 2002 to the uh, the general or regular army. Um, after finishing the, the basic medical technician course up in, uh, well, down in Victoria, I was posted up to Townsville, which is up in uh, far north Queensland. Uh, from there, um, yeah, I spent roughly 18 months just uh, going about the general support battalion uh, as a medic there. I was working in a resuscitation team, so rapid um, or ready company group. Um, deployed to Timor in 2006. And then uh, at the end of that deployment, uh, I was posted to four-hour commando, who had now been renamed to Commando Regiment down in Sydney. Um uh, as soon as I got to the unit, I was um, yeah, pretty much sent on to various insertion skill courses, including para- paratroop course. And um, yeah, it was actually, I think, March out night from that course, uh, I found out our company were deploying to uh, Afghanistan uh, leading into the summer summer months so the fighting season over there. Um, Jeremy Holder, who features heavily in the, uh, the documentary Voodoo uh, Medics, he actually gave me the handover, so he completed the rotation three. Um, and he didn't gloss it up at all. Uh, He just told me how it was, you know, ran me through all the equipment he was using on the ground, everything from med kit to, you know, what boots he was wearing and what to expect. So that that was a really good handover for me. Um, I came from a unit that wasn't necessarily, uh, I guess, operationally focused or hadn't had that experience in heavy combat areas. Um, It was sort of where I came from was sort of the MASH sort of setups, you know, putting up the big tents, um, and sort of servicing sort of uh, the other fighting battalions. Um, so for me, going into a unit that was heavily operationally focused and, uh, you know, a group of highly skilled, highly motivated uh, operators was uh, was why I joined as a medic. You know, it was, uh, yeah, you can do all the all the Gucci stuff, you know, like grow on the beards and, and the long hair and all that type of stuff. But for me as a medic, it was, you know, got to the unit, hit the ground running. And then you're learning all different weapon systems, uh, all the different tactics and and insertion skills, and yeah, before I knew it, we're uh, gearing up to go over to to the GAN. So um, yeah, loved my time since as as I got to the to the unit. I was on rotation four um, and spent the uh, the good months summer period over in Afghanistan. Um, it treated a fair few um, casualties, both civilian, local Afghanis and um, uh, fellow operators from Two Commando Regiment uh one being chad elliott who um is a good mate uh we were doing a, a dismounted patrol um uh, close to a mountain bridge and uh obviously got the word up that uh there's a few taliban up on the mountain bridge so it was a bit of a recon cruising up the ridge line and uh, unfortunately chad elliott was clipped by a 7.62 round um and in entry wound in a thigh uh, about the size of a thumbnail and uh shattered the neck of FEMA there through his hip and uh, he had a nice probably baseball-sized exit wound out of his right buttock. Um, so I was called forward in one of the vehicles and uh, two of the operators at the time um, gave him a morphine auto-injector and was still heavily uh, in, a, in a contact, so they were receiving small-arms fire and RPG rounds. Uh, we had two vehicles um, up front that were just peppering the, uh, the mountaintop with uh, 84mm rockets and small-arms fire, 50 cal. Uh, so as soon as I got there, it was uh, a uh, back door open on the vehicle and um, peel around. And as soon as I came out of the, the back of the vehicle, you know, we had yeah, had 84 mils going up on the mountaintop, small arms fire. And, uh, yeah, I just remember coming out of the back of the vehicle. It was like, whoa, here we go. It's full on. I uh, managed to get closer towards Chad and he was quite, quite exposed, still out in the open. So we managed to peel him around to the back of the vehicle, a bit of protection. And then from there, we used a, uh, a shot off, uh, antenna off one of the vehicles. We've been shot off and, uh, used that as a central splint between the, uh, the two legs. Uh, and there, we patched them out, fixed the hole, identify any, uh, major bleeds. And then, uh, yeah, put IVs in, uh, adjusted his pain relief and, um, yeah, got him back to a safe zone, ready for a medivac. So for that, that was, uh, that was probably my first major, um, uh, casualty, I think on the ground and definitely, uh. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of months there that we didn't see uh, any uh, civilian or, or soldier casualties. So um, from there on in, it just uh, it set the pace for the rest of the uh, deployment. There's definitely more casualties, both local and, and Australians. Um, but for that, that was definitely the one that sticks with me. Um, Chad Elliott, actually, he returned to uh, to Cout and the American forward surgical team obviously uh, stabilised him. And then he was sent off to... Germany, where he had a big steel rod placed through his femur. He returned back to Australia, uh, did his rehab, and he actually geared up, uh, did all the fitness tests and assessments prior to uh, deploying again on Rotation 7. So uh, the very next year, deployed again with our company. And uh, to his credit, you know, the the mental toll and the anguish, I guess, associated with that, um, I think just got the better of him on the day. Uh, Mentally, we're about to deploy outside the wire, um, and he was brave enough to put his hand up and say, you know, Look, I'm not ready for this. Uh, so he had the discussion with his, you know, superiors, and he uh, returned back to Australia. Um, so to his credit, you know, put his hand on his heart and said, yeah, I'm not I'm not mentally ready for this. So, um, yeah, still keeping contacts, obviously, through the doco. Uh, we've come closer again, made contact, and, uh, yeah, it's good to see that he's doing, he's doing really well. Nice. Uh, he's, he's got some other other hobbies and interests now and a little family. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I just wanted to ask the, um, so the medevacs that you guys were, or that were working with you guys, were they mainly American medevacs?
3: Uh, so we had a combination. Yes. mainly the PJs that would come and retrieve. Okay. Um, we also had some other assets, They so the Dutch, um, and depending on where we were operating, it was, uh, it could be anyone from Brits to, to Americans to Dutch. So, um, yeah at that time i think later on in the rotations we had australian uh, retrieval
1: medics on the, on the choppers but yeah okay so i wanted to ask um you know a little more on the on the medic side um so i had uh dan Pronk on a podcast before and he was uh, a major in the sas and he was a doctor so i guess that's a little unique in in some aspects i know um over on the american side there were Doctors going out with um, uh, ranger battalions, American ranger battalions in Afghanistan. Um, So as far as the the medic side, a lot of units on the American side have medics who are like everything is kind of like organic to the unit, including the medic. Um, From what you described, and and correct me if I'm wrong you're kind of a medic and then you attach to the unit and you train with the unit and then you deploy with the unit. Is that, is that correct? Yeah,
3: that's correct. Yeah. So uh, they used to have a scheme where you could do uh, your selection course. And if successful upon completion, completing that uh, selection course, you are given a barrow, uh, and they categorize you, whether you're a cat A that was full-time uh, operator or cat B where you, you maintain your primary, I guess, employment trade. Um, so for a medic, you'd be cat B you'd still operate as a medic uh, but detached out uh, with all the extra skills um, uh, attached to that role as a commando. Uh, now they just do uh, basically a CADA um, category. So if you do selection, you are now a full-time operator. Um, so you don't maintain that that clinical, uh, I guess, component or status. Um yeah, but as it stands now, there are other operators or, sorry, other medics that have done the selection course and been given the uh, the bearer. Uh, but commonly, you are um, detached to the platoons, heavily integrated with the platoons, um, but not necessarily
1: with the bearer itself. So, Okay. Okay. And so something I, I um, you know, just listening, I'm sorry, learning the title of, of the documentary um, Voodoo Medics, Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting title and kind of catchy. And then if you actually watch it, it's explained, um, you know, where that came from. Uh, Can we talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, so Kristen, do you want to No, Joe, go for it. Yeah, sure. So so John Walter was another uh, kilo that was um, involved with the documentary series. Um, Good mate. Um, He came up with the, uh, I guess, the – the title rotation, I think it was two thousand eight. Uh, there, so yeah, the, the basic tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, take on it is uh, we do the voodoo, so you can do what you do. Yeah, and I basically, that was so.
1: <laughs> that's it. nailed so, it. Uh,
3: nailed it. Yeah, so it's uh, dominating the dark arts. It's basically a bit of a tongue-in-cheek um, expression, but uh, yeah, something to identify the, the the medics who operate with both SASR and Two Commando Regiment. In Special Operations Command in Australia, and what differentiates between VUDE medic's and the general wider Army medic's is um, basically just the, the the additional skills, the weapons, and uh, just the expectancy on, on medic's uh, operating on the ground with uh, special operations. So
1: nice.
2: The reason the reason I was laughing then was because when we were filming. Um, I, I was asking Jody to deliver that line on camera, <laughs> but he's obviously been practicing before ahead of this podcast.
3: Oh yeah, I, I totally forgot about that little little,
2: <laughs> that little back in the day.
3: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that no, was that's funny.
2: Good. <laughs> yeah, John, I didn't even know about Voodoo Medics until um, I was well into. Pre production, the documentary actually mm. had a different different name when I started working on it. It was going to be called Beyond Trauma because it was all about trauma and how to move beyond that. But um, yeah, as I got into the process with these guys and was conducting the pre interviews and doing all the research, um, I came across this this title voodoo medics that they already had given themselves Mm. 10 years ago in Afghanistan and so for me as a um as the journalist that was just gold I mean they had this
1: much cooler name
2: (laughs) so cool so cool it was catchy it actually perfectly reflected their identity um, as special ops medics and um yeah it was just um incredible to learn about it in the history and origins and like jody was saying one of the medics in this documentary was actually the one who designed the logo and a few of them were on the ground when this um concept of unconventional medicine and unconventional warfare um was coined and yeah they coined the name together so for me it was perfect
1: yeah that's awesome um so so jody as far as um you know medical training and stuff like that with what you deployed with and and the um everything that was implemented as far as tccc and and bleeding control and and that kind of thing is that something that you guys were focused on when you first joined the army and became a medic or is that something that eventually caught on
3: Ah, uh, definitely it's it's something that's evolved heavily in the last 15 20 years and i think a lot of this tccc is obviously based on Uh, findings through obviously Iraq, Afghanistan and and recent conflicts uh, through ranger battalions, um, obviously 75th. And uh, so that's sort of – that's kicked on into obviously the wider uh, military defence forces around the world. Um, So I guess the training uh, when I hit the ground at at 2 Commando Regiment was heavily focused on TCCC. It was the ditch medicine sort of mentality. Um, What you had on your back was was it at the time. Um, So you are doing those – highly invasive procedures on the ground. And, uh, yeah, you're expected to sort of uh, stabilize the patient or patients, you know, anywhere from the golden hour and beyond, depending on, you know, logistics and airframes and things like that that you have at your disposal. But, uh, I mean, in comparison to when I first started uh, my medics training course, it was sort of back in the era of, you know, Vietnam era sort of medicine. Right. Which uh, obviously dealt with some some pretty catastrophic injuries and, and trauma-based sort of learnings there, but uh, it's definitely the hard and fast on the ground. So your tourniquets, your wound packing gores, you're doing invasive airways and things alike. So, um, And the good thing about the Australian Special Operations Command is they uh, they put a huge emphasis on that. Obviously, they were seeing the type of casualties they were getting on the ground in these early rotations to Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, So the funding and, yeah, I guess the importance of that definitely allowed the medics to, you know, we're going in doing placements on road with paramedics, working in theaters, doing tubes, uh, advanced airways um, and other things alike there. So definitely the training definitely set us up for uh, the casualties on the ground overseas. Uh,
1: So for people who might not be familiar with uh, the golden hour, can you explain that?
3: Sure. So uh, based on uh, 60 minutes, you know, that's the, opportune amount of time that you need to stabilise the patient, get them back to definitive care. So whether that's a roll three or above um, or a forward surgical team, uh, that gives you the best chance of survival for your patient or casualty. Um, that's the optimum time that you want. Uh, they do talk about Platinum 10 now, and that's where you are, um, obviously stabilising the patient, any potential life-threatening uh,
1: hemorrhages, injuries, or um, any airway comprom- compromises there, so... And the Platinum 10, that's actually the first time I'm hearing that. Is that um, the Platinum 10 minutes? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so, that's interesting. I've never actually heard that. Um, so, so, Kristen, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're obviously with your husband being a, a former commando, uh, some of this is probably not new to you, but... As you go through this and you meet different people and you hear these stories and you prepare to tell this story, um, what effect does it have on you? And did you feel like you've learned anything from this experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like as a journo, you know, I always am really conscious of everything that I report being accurate. But I think working on a project like this sort of took that to another level because, um, you know, this is my husband's community and the, these are people who we are like intimately connected to through my husband's work. And um, although my husband isn't personally mates with um, most of these guys just due to serving at different times and in different companies within 2nd Commando Regiment and some of them being from SAS, he might not have directly worked with them or known them personally but we're all kind of um, a part of the same community and connected um, generally like pretty closely. So, um, so I guess for me um, because this is such a personal project, In that regard, um, I just felt really um, conscious of firstly doing the story justice, as I would with any story endeavour to, but um, probably even more so, just doing the story justice and making sure that it was, you know, completely 100% accurate, that there were no factual mistakes, um, you know, that the guys were, were comfortable with the way that they were represented and, um, just making sure it was, you know, <clears throat> as good as it could possibly be and as perfect as it could be. So, um, in terms of the content, you know, it definitely moves me, even though I was there doing the interviews and, um, I was involved in every aspect of it, you know, still watching the documentary, there are particular episodes and moments that give me goosebumps and make me feel emotional yeah. as well. So, um, you know, I guess when I'm on the ground doing the interviews and I'm in that zone, you know, um, I'm really focused on the job at hand but being able to sit back and watch the documentary, I definitely, you know, feel, feel quite moved and, um, and emotional about it as well. So, um, yeah, and I feel now I guess really intimately connected to everyone who was involved and I think um, what was really special about this project is... Um, I think Jody might say the same, given, you know, having mentioned before, you know, having reconnected with Chad during this process. But for me personally, like, I feel very connected to everyone involved. And I feel like we really kind of forged some strong bonds and friendships during the process of making it, because it was such a long process over so many months. And there was a lot of um, constant and ongoing contact within the group. So, Um, I feel like we've forged some really strong friendships and, um, yeah, it's, it's the most personal project that I've ever worked on, I would say. So I think that, yeah, that made it really special and just, um, the level of care and attention to detail, um, that I put into it, I'd say is higher than, you know, on any project I've ever worked on before.
1: Yeah. You know, just talking about these kind of things and these experiences, um, I think it just has a different flavor to it than if you're talking about politics or something like that, you know? Um,
2: yeah.
1: So, so Jody, I want to ask you, um, you know, having been... So, when was it that you got out, out Got out of the Australian Army, Jody? I uh,
3: got out uh, 2009,
1: mid-year 2009. Okay. So, it, it's been about 10 years since you've got out. That's it. So... You know something that's been brought up, uh, particularly in the United States, um, is the the topic of mental health of post traumatic stress, and um, you know, not the the physical wound but the emotional wound uh, on war fighters. Uh, sure. Doing some research on it this is not something that is exclusive to this generation of warriors it's something that's existed for a very long time um it's just had different names over the years uh in world war 2 i believe they called it shell shock um during the american civil war they called it soldier's heart um and and this is something that i've i've spoken to you know many different individuals about this and um Sometimes uh, talking about it helps, and I think the nature of special operations um is you know everything is need to know and and kept you know kind of a tight circle and you don't speak about it, but in some ways uh post service I think that kind of works against the individual um and not that you know things shouldn't be kept secret and quiet you know for for several reasons but um, did you feel like, and and uh, and I'm asking this for you personally, and then for any other guys involved that you know or that you've spoken to, did did anyone feel like, um, maybe they felt better after doing this project?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think a really positive uh, thing that came out of Voodoo Medics documentary was uh, the spin that Kristen has done. It it sort of highlights the fact that. We're trying to reverse that stigma that not every deployed veteran, you know, to Iraq, Afghanistan, you name it, uh, is suffering post-deployments. Um, so right. take, take for example, there's a lot of guys within the documentary and a lot of other great soldiers out there that are doing really well post-military service. So, you know, you've got Bram Connolly, that's, uh, he's he's writing books now, um, living the dream. You've got uh, Brad Watts is doing really well and speaks heavily on his yeah, you know, his daughter and his son. You've got uh, you've got Jeremy Holder running a, a highly success, successful uh, company from Sydney. Um, so, I guess a re- yeah, just going back, it's a really good positive story, and sort of highlights the fact that you know that trying to reverse the stigma. Not everyone that's deployed is suffering both mentally and physically. Um, and I think another point as well, it, it, it sort of draws on that title of post traumatic stress disorder that a lot of people will refer to. Right. Um, and and a, and a few. Key people in the doco series, you know, talk about you know, it should be regarded as post-traumatic um, uh, stress, right. and that, that should be the title. It shouldn't be classed as a disorder as such. Right. Um, I find another positive spin on, on the docu series is just getting those stories out in the open as well. You know, sometimes it can be really good for those veterans to talk about that. Right. Um, it could be something that they've bottled up over the years, um, but even just for for the the sheer history and and uh, I guess the exposure for the for both you know special operations uh, special operations command and the guys involved on you know some of those big battles uh, fought and uh, the things that uh, the companies or the, the battalions have or the regiments have uh, achieved on those operations is is huge. So yeah, some good good stories coming out of this docu series. Um, and I think for the guys that uh, maybe are dealing with some uh, some post traumatic stress it's it's a good way and it sort of emphasizes and it sort of tied in with the Invictus games that recently held in Australia to you know to to talk about it, um seek that help and yeah, touch on those uh those services that are available um if you are having hard times. So
1: yeah, I, I just saw the um I think uh it was I think Mark Donaldson was posting about it Are the Invictus games on his Instagram. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Uh so yeah No, go ahead,
2: go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, Dono was an ambassador at the Invictus Games for Boeing, Defence Australia, the company he works for now. But um, just on what Jody was saying and and your question, John, I think for some of the guys involved in the documentary, it was actually the first time that they had properly debriefed about some of those incidents that they were involved in, which is probably why, you know, the emotions kind of hit at times when they were talking about them because, um, yeah, it was a long time ago and they sort of, um, you know, compartmentalised those events and hadn't really had a detailed um, debrief about them. And um, like that incident that you mentioned from episode three where Brad broke down when talking about the five-year-old Afghan girl who we treated, um, Look, it was it was the first time he talked about it, so I think he, it was sort of unexpected that the emotions would hit that way. But when you've bottled something up for that long, um, it's totally understandable that that would um, affect you when you do finally, yeah, just unpack it.
1: Yeah, and it, it's something that I've seen before, um, but talking to different people, mainly on the American side, but um, – one one guy uh he's a good friend of mine and he was um he had pretty bad uh traumatic brain injuries uh just from several years of deploying and you know training uh getting blown up by ieds and things like that um and he was a american special forces medic so he was a green beret on 18 delta um and and they run the um the special operations medical course in the United States which uh, all the services send their their guys to the course they get they go through the course they get certified and then they go back to their respective units um and you know we were talking and he he was telling me about a time that he was treating a uh, a child in Afghanistan and um he got so emotional just talking about how they they couldn't save her, and it's just like, you know, these. You think about these these guys, um, and not just special operations, just infantry, combat arms, in general. Um, you know, men who are going into to combat and fighting and and uh, killing the enemy, and and then you know watching their their teammates and their friends get killed and wounded, and then something that. You know, brings the emotions to the, sur- to the surface is them talking about a, a little girl in a village in Afghanistan. You know, it's just, it just kind of shows the human aspect of it. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, when I was watching that part, I was like, wow, this is really good because this is the, the authentic um, experience of an Australian warfighter. And I think people are really gonna appreciate that.
2: Yeah, it showed the humanity of their role and the complexity of their role as well. But also that moment for for that medic Brad, it was such a moment of vulnerability, but there was so much strength in that to see that, you know, he's such a resilient, strong guy. But you can you can be that and still also be emotionally affected by these incidents, particularly involving kids.
1: Yeah and I think um you know if especially if it's the first time he's spoken about it um you know maybe he's he's talked about it with his family I'm not sure but especially if he hasn't you know the, the families are going to watch this you know and and then they they now know in detail what you know what their their family members have gone through overseas and um You know even though we're just talking about a very one specific individual in that case was the the medic um like i said before it really affects everybody around him his teammates uh, um and his family and um i think in in many ways you know for security reasons um because you know we're, we're we're both from different countries but we are allies and um uh, our overseas, done overseas operations, soldiers and sailors and airmen from both countries work together uh, during m- many conflicts, but most recently in Afghanistan and the global war on terror. So um, I think outside of the the need for secrecy and security, I think it, it does wonders for young, um, in this case, for young Australian men. Uh, who are interested in, in joining the army or joining the military to, to hear these stories of, of the guys who were there before they were. And um, in many ways, it it kind of, um it sets the bar, you know, and then they feel like they have to keep that or raise it. And I think it does wonders for, uh, you know, the, the younger generation who is considering or interested in service to their country.
3: Yeah, definitely I think it's it's definitely uh, it shows you the true aspect of you know recent conflicts overseas um, and I just want to draw on the point obviously um, from the last discussion was you know when, when I was overseas and running around in the desert I was what 24 25 years old so that's quite quite young and for a lot of a lot of the soldiers at the time that were dealing with some pretty uh, pretty tense moments and and incidences you um, and it's interesting to see, you know, you're 10 years later, you know, it's probably the first time I've spoken about uh, some of the casualties I've seen through this doco um, with a few mates, you know, and family members. Uh, I think definitely being in that Special Operations Command units, you know, you're not allowed to sort of talk talk about, you know, operational security and events that happened overseas. That's just the normality mm-hmm. of, um, when you are posted to those units. Um, so is that that spin on it? And then obviously there are times where, you know, veterans just don't feel – that they can talk about those things. So, um, right. But yeah, d- definitely. I think it's it shows uh, shows the development of especially Australia's um, defence force capability um, and developments in modern medicine as well. So modern mi- military medicine and the things that they've achieved overseas, working with both the Americans, the British, uh, you name it. I think it's another positive that's come out of those campaigns is. Yeah, we're updating our tactics, we're updating our equipment, um, and especially the, the modern military medicine. It's come a long way. Uh,
1: so, yeah. So, um, Jody, let me ask you, did you watch this with your family?
3: Uh, no, don't, definitely not. I uh, okay. have been watching. I've <laughs> uh, been working away at the moment. But, uh, yeah, my partner, she's watched them all, and, and definitely there's a few things that she wasn't aware of. Um, it was a bit of an eye opener to her. But, um, right. I think the good thing is it sparks that conversation. If people feel the need that they can talk about it, yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, Yeah. And um, Christian, if you don't mind me asking, um, how did your husband feel about watching it?
2: Oh, great. You know, he's really supportive and really proud of the project. So, um, you know, obviously, like, reporting on defense and particularly special operations is such a sensitive area but um, you know i had his support and his blessing from the beginning and he he always understood what my vision and intention was for the project and um, you know was 100 percent behind me on that i think um, yeah just knowing that you know my intention was to tell this story of trauma resilience and post-traumatic growth but also to shine a light on the work of the medics or the kilos over in Afghanistan and give them acknowledgement and credit for their efforts because they've gone so largely unrecognised, um, you know, I think that, um, yeah, gave him that confidence in me in the story and what it was as well that I was trying to do because, um, you know, my intention was never to kind of, you know, do any sort of um expose on special operations or reveal any sensitive or classified information or anything like that. And I was always really conscious to not do that. Um, That was – that's never – yeah, that was never the intention. And I was really – yeah, just really careful not to um, breach any, you know, operational security or anything like that in my reporting. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, he's been a great support. Nice.
1: And is this something um – like, did the government have to to look at this before you publish it?
2: No, no. I yeah, we made this completely independently. So uh-huh. um, yeah, everyone involved w- had already discharged from the military, and um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, we just um, yeah, I worked on this independently from from the Australian Defence Force.
1: Okay, and and this was produced by the Daily Telegraph.
2: Um, it it was funded by the Daily Telegraph. So, um, yeah, they, they provided the funding and the platform for it to be published. Um, and yeah, and I produced it in conjunction with a freelance video crew.
1: Okay. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, great. So uh, it was really good to have you guys on here. Um, you know, like I said, I, I've seen so many different guys uh, who are you know very highly respected um, sharing it and talk about it, and it just really kind of spiked my interest in it. And um, you know, just watching it, like I said, it's just and and even though I'm not Australian, just watching it, uh, you, there's a lot of parts where you get emotional, and um, you know, it just brings the reality of what is going on, um, overseas, uh, to the, to the front of your mind. And I think it's something that, uh, it, it was done really well. And I think it's something that you should be proud of and, and Jody, you should be proud of and everybody involved in it. And I think it, it gives the Australian people something to be proud of, of their, uh, you know, servicemen and, and some of the extraordinary things they're able to do, uh, while deployed in combat.
2: Thanks, John. And, yeah, I really appreciate your interest in the project and your support of it. Um, and, yeah, your podcast was uh, instrumental in some of my research, I have to say. I definitely oh, nice. <laughs> binged, binged on a few of your episodes in the lead up to uh, interviewing. So, in particular, um, yeah, your, your interviews with Mark Donaldson and Dan Pronk. And I also in, really enjoyed your um, episode on Cameron Baird. So, yeah, well done. Your podcast is excellent. Thank
1: you. And a great resource. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, So if people, the audience listening, they want to check it out, where can they go to do that, Uh, aside from the links that I'll provide on the uh, podcast notes?
2: Yeah, thank you. So the documentary, the eight-part documentary, is all available now to view at dailytelegraph.com.au. We also have a podcast on iTunes called Voodoo Medics. Um, But, yeah, you can definitely – you should – catch up on all of the uh, documentary episodes first and then listen to the extended chats on the podcast.
1: And uh, on the podcast particularly, you have uh, all the same people who are involved in it uh, on the podcast talking about it as well?
2: Yeah, that's right. There's, um, There'll be 13 episodes and I think we've rolled out six so far, including Jodie's. Um, so everyone involved in the documentary um, also has a will have a podcast entity Uh, episode which is essentially their extended interview with me not all of uh, the interview content content could be included in the documentary so we've also published the podcast so but if you want to know a bit more about these characters and their stories you can jump onto that and find out a bit more about them as well.
1: Awesome so outside of um, the the page where they can go and watch this and the podcast, is there any other uh, platforms that you would like people to be, to know about, um, to kind of keeping up with what you guys going, what you guys have going on?
0: Oh,
2: like probably, um, just follow us all on Instagram. And yeah, when you go to watch those documentary episodes on dailytelegraph.com.au, you, there's a lot of print content as well. There's a lot of, um, stories written about these incidents and these battles. Um, for example, the incident where Jodie treated Chad, I mean, there's, you know, um, re- some really long articles um, which go into depth about those incidents as well, which I think would be really interesting reading for anyone who would like, um, yeah, to just deep dive into some of these events.
3: Sure. I think an extended interview is also available on Spotify. Is that correct, uh, Kristen?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Jodes. Yeah. yeah. Spotify as well for those on Android.
1: So just search Voodoo Medics on Spotify.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's it.
1: Nice. So, you know, like I said before, it was great to ha- have both of you on here. Um, you know, it's an awesome documentary, the awesome individuals involved. Um, and it just, like I said, it just shows, you know, what the, the kind of adversity that, um, you know, warriors are facing in, in Afghanistan and, and elsewhere. And, I really appreciate you guys doing it and then coming on the podcast. And um, Jody, even though I'm not an Australian, I want to say thank you for your service. Uh, Thank you very much, John. Thanks
3: for having us on the show. really appreciate it and support and uh, look forward to hearing your responses about the rest of those uh, episodes. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Thanks, John.
2: Thank you, John.